So today for our message, as we uh, look at this passage, we are jumping into our series on, um, well, we're calling it SG squared or SG2, Spiritual Gifts Small Groups. And um, this is part of our learning missional practices journey because I think the spiritual gifts that we are going to learn about and that we are going to um, understand which ones we have, those really guide us into what our missional practice should be. And so as we learn about ourselves and how we're uniquely made and what part of the body um, we function as, that's going to help us go on, on to our mission. So the passage that was just read from 1 Corinthians 12 is, is the middle of the passage, and I call it reading between the lists, because at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, there's a list of spiritual gifts, and at the end, there's a list of spiritual gifts, and we read between them, and that was intentional. Um, so we are going to look at those lists along the way. In fact, each week, we'll be looking at one or two or three of the different gifts, um, but often what happens when we think of spiritual gifts is, is we, um, we take our Western mindset. So if you probably know that the uh, North America and Europe is called the Western world. The Eastern world is sort of the rest of the world. And the Bible comes from the Eastern world and is written in that much more Eastern kind of a way. In our world, we like to think in, in linear ways. We like propositional truth. We like to organize things and structure things and use them as tests, right? That's why our schools are basically teachers, classrooms, information, books, that kind of learning. Um, a little less exper- experiential sometimes. What goes on in 1 Corinthians um, 12 with that list of gifts is a partial list of the gifts that are available in the Bible. Usually there's three chapters in the Bible, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. And what we often do with our Western mindset is we, we take all the different gifts listed there and anywhere in the Bible, and we, 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 we compile a complete list of them. And then if there's doubles, if one's mentioned twice, we, we knock that off and say, okay, it's only each one mentioned once. And then we formulate a test, and you're actually going to be asked to take one of these tests, and, and I encourage you to do that. But we formulate a test, and then we determine, okay, I have that gift, and I don't have that gift, and I have that gift, and I don't have that gift. I want to suggest to you that it's, it's helpful to take those tests because it helps you understand yourself, but it doesn't actually nail what the Bible teaches us about gifts, okay? So when we look at um, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, particularly the first 11 verses, the part we didn't read, um, those are what I would call the manifestational gifts because it says right in there, the Holy Spirit Spirit manifests through these different gifts, right? The Holy Spirit shows up in those different gifts. Other gifts are gifts that I would suggest are um, our abilities, our strengths. Romans 12 actually leans into those ones. Things like leadership, um, hospitality, giving. Those kinds of things pretty much everybody can do and should do at any time, right? And so as we look at these different kinds of gifts, we need to understand that each passage of gifts isn't just saying, here's some of the gifts and wait for a later passage before you get the rest of the gifts. Each passage is saying, there's a certain kind of gift I want to talk about here. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it's those ones where when the Spirit moves, you receive that gift. Okay? Because sometimes what happens is we're going to take that test, and again, I encourage you to do it as, as you prepare for your small group. And then we say, well, I didn't test positive for that gift, so I don't have it. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Right? I want to suggest to you that since the passage actually says, for 1 Corinthians 12... Uh, verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. And often we hear that as, when you're born, 
God, by his Holy Spirit, maybe when you're baptized, he infuses you with a particular set of gifts. Your job is to discover them and use them, and that's your label for the rest of your life. I want to suggest to you that at least the manifestational gifts, this list in 1 Corinthians 12, works this way. Anytime God needs you to function with one of these gifts, he can give it to you. All right? Anytime God needs you to use one of these gifts, he can give it to you. So for most of my life, I would have suggested to you that I do not have the gift of interpreting tongues. But there was an occasion where I was leading, and I was praying over a small group of people. And one of the people was from Pakistan, and so I prayed over him, and then he went down on his knees and he started praying in Punjabi, I thought, because I don't know Punjabi, and I knew that he did. And then I listened for a while and said, no, I've heard Punjabi before. He is not praying in Punjabi. Uh Uh-oh, I think he's praying in tongues. And I happen to know, because I'm educated in the Bible, that if somebody prays in tongues in a group, somebody should interpret. And I'm looking at the rest of my group, and some of them were brand new Christians, probably didn't know that rule, and probably weren't going to step forward with it. And so I said, Lord, this is your rule. If you need somebody to interpret, let me have that gift. And he did. He told me what this guy was saying, and I fed back to him. I said, were you praying, I'm sorry, and, and thank you, and because it was very simple. Tongues is often very simple language, right? And he said, yes, I was. So now I don't check that box off. I now have that gift because I've actually never used it again, though I have heard tongues spoken. The suggestion here that I want to make to you is that Gifts are not this cut-and-dried Western kind of a thing where you have this list, you label yourself, and now you're in that box. When you're working with the Holy Spirit, always when you're working with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit blows where it will, just like the wind, John chapter 3, right? God works in his powerful ways as he needs to. He gives the gift when he needs to, as he needs to, to whomever he needs to. And so it's really about being open and ready and aware that the Spirit, when he needs me, will also empower me to do exactly what he calls me to do. So that's my little mini-sermon on the part that we didn't even read. Now to the passage that we did read. Because the point of this whole chapter is that we are one, that we are united, right? Because when you start talking about gifts, you start saying, well, that person has really cool gifts, so they're, they're a better person, they're a more, more important person. And the biblical teaching over and over again is, oh yeah, there's lots of gifts, but they all come from the Spirit, and he gives them when he wants to, to whom he wants to, how he wants to. And so you are all humble recipients of the gifts of God that come through the Holy Spirit. And we need to lean into that sense of unity. So I happen to be Christian Reformed and always have been part of the Christian Reformed Church in my life. But I want to let you know that some of the most powerful changes in my life came either at a Catholic retreat center or at a charismatic renewal experience, which I put at the other ends of the spectrum of denominations. We are united because there's one spirit, and the spirit works in the Catholic Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Baptist Church. You name your denomination, the Holy Spirit works there. But he works there in different kinds of ways. It's also true, of course, in in a region of churches. And so this week we're going to have what's called Classus Niagara, which is the Christian Reformed churches of the Niagara region gathering to have conversations of things that we need to discuss in common. And those churches have a whole variety of styles and and, um, leadership and, and people involved in them but they are united because they all serve the one spirit. When we gather, we recognize there's those differences, 
but also that we are called to be one and discuss these things and hold each other um, in unity. The local church, Mountain View. We also have a whole variety of people here with a whole variety of experiences, right? The passage actually talks about there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. When you're talking about those kinds of things, you're, you're talking about people who are polar opposites, right? And whenever you gather a community, ideally what happens is people come and gather here who have completely different experiences. And what we're called to do is listen and wonder, how is the Holy Spirit working in that person's life in a way that's different from the way the Holy Spirit's worked in my life? And how can I learn from that? How can I lean into that and understand that God has sent this person um, to help me understand better the breadth of what he can do all the way from one range to the other um, of his whole creative community? Henry Blackaby says, if you want to know what God's up to, look at the strange people he sends your way. If you want to know what God's up to, look at the strange people he sends your way. And by the way, when he talks about strange people, he means pretty much all of us. Because all of us are strange to other people until we get to know each other, right? All of us are unique in ways that when we bump into each other, we go, oh, that's interesting. And when we listen and pay attention to how has the Spirit gifted this person, how has the the Spirit guided this person, that's going to shape how we understand um, what God is calling us to do together on this journey. So as you, as you form in small groups, and there's still time, please do sign up for those small groups. Our website will show you how to do that. Um, as we join in small groups, one of the things we're going to discuss is what are the gifts that we bring? How has the Spirit been at work in our lives? And that's going to shape us towards a conversation about, well, these are the gifts that God has given us. Well, then what is our mission? What does that say about what we're supposed to be, supposed to be doing? So when I, I lived in Brampton, actually, I still live in Brampton. When I was ministering in Brampton, um, probably if you know anything about Brampton, you know that there's a lot of people from South Asia there, people from Pakistan and India, right? That's the main thing people seem to know about Brampton. And um, so I had always thought at some point along the way, some leader, some pastor from Pakistan or India is going to come to me and we're probably going to plant a church within our building, right? We're saying, say at a different time and maybe eventually together from people from Pakistan. But God sent me, according to the whole Henry Blackaby idea, God sent me a man named Pastor Peter, who's Spanish. And there's one thing that I think is true of, of Brampton that is not known for its Spanish community. But God sent me Pastor Peter, and we connected, and we sensed the Holy Spirit working um, in our conversation, and we, we partnered up where Pastor Peter's community became part of our community, and we partnered in ministry because that's who God sent our way, someone with a gift for Spanish ministry, not for ministry in the South Asian community paying attention to who are we hanging around with, how has God gifted them, how is the Spirit at work in their lives, and that guides us towards what then is our particular mission in our neighborhood. So, the passage goes on to talk about our weaker or more vulnerable parts, right, that we pay special attention to them. And I think of things like this. Our heart and our lungs are behind our rib cage. They're in a cage. They're behind bars. They're protected. Our brain is in our skull, which is just a big piece of rock or bone, depending on how hard your head is. And when God puts those pieces there, he's helping to remind us that those pieces, which I'm pretty sure we all know instinctively, are really, really important. Our brain, our heart, our lungs. But he puts them in the safest, most protected place, right? And you think, why are those vital, vital organs 
so sensitive, right? Do not take your heart out and put it on the table because you're not going to be able to put it back in by yourself, right? Do not expose your brain to anything. That's why it's in your skull because that is going to cause terrible damage. And when we think of the body of the church, the people of the church, the community of the church, we also need to recognize that God uses the vulnerable people and people in vulnerable circumstances to teach us his deepest truths, right? He wants us to protect them. He wants us to pay attention and protect our children because Jesus said again and again, let the little ones come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, or unless you become like a little child, right? And so we are, we are programmed, I think, to think that people like me who are mature and educated and, and have particular gifts, we're the ones that we need to look at for leadership and for direction. And Jesus keeps reminding us, no, 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 no. Don't look at those people who seem to have the things together. Look at the ones who are the most vulnerable. So I know a couple of churches who've had people from their friendship team also on their leadership team. And they do that because they recognize Jesus uses everybody, not just the people we think are capable and strong. The parts of the body that are the most sensitive, that are the most vulnerable, those are the ones that God uses to do incredible and powerful things. And in each of our lives, the moments that we are the most vulnerable and the moments that we are most sensitive, those are often the times when God, by his Spirit, shows up with power to use us. And so as we think about this whole conversation about spiritual gifts, the message of 1 Corinthians 12 is, don't take this gift thing and say, look, I've got these powers, I've got these abilities, look at me, follow me, I've got this thing going. It's to say, no, whatever gift you have, it requires people with other gifts around you. We're experiencing that right now. I love it that in this worship service, a whole bunch of people came up um, between my welcome and now and participated in leading the service because we're all different parts of the body. Right? You don't want me leading and singing on a regular basis. You wouldn't be hearing me right now or seeing me right now if it weren't for the tech team. Right? I consider them the brains. We have them in a little war room. They're in a little shell, a little skull over in the room over there because we need them protected so that this can take place Right, and we can actually hear the words that I'm saying and that we're talking about and that we're looking at today. So that's an introduction to spiritual gifts. And today I want to talk about two particular gifts. I'll do this every week for the next six weeks. And today I want to look at hospitality and shepherding. And if you take a quick look at 1 Corinthians 12, you'll quickly realize hospitality and shepherding aren't even in that passage. That's why I didn't read the lists, because it would have given it away. But what hospitality and shepherding are, are gifts that build the unity of the body. Now, to be honest, I feel a little shy about talking to you folks as the Mountain View community about hospitality and explaining it to you because you've shown me you get hospitality. You've been incredibly hospitable to us. You've been creative in hospitality to us because obviously we cannot meet in person at this time. So I just want to simply point out to you what this hospitality is. And I want to remind you that it's a gift of God, right? And that um, sometimes God gives us this gift to us in a way that that's just shows how amazingly he, he's poured it out on us. There are people, and you probably all know someone like this, you go, 
Yeah, they have the gift of hospitality because whenever I'm near them, whenever I'm um, in a place where they are, they make me feel comfortable and at home and they make sure that my needs are taken care of. They, they quickly reach out. They ask, how are you doing? They do it in a way that makes you feel like, yeah, I want to share here. I'm not going to be shy. I'm going to enter into this. Hospitality is basically taking care of whatever need a person has. Right? And being hospita- hospitable is connected to the word hospital. Right? And a hospital is a place where you go when you're injured and sick or something's wrong, and if all goes well, they, they take care of that need and they, they fix you up. Hospitality is really that same sort of thing. It's not necessarily about disease or illness or, or a broken bone. Hospitality is about when a person comes to you and you recognize, boy, they need to be welcomed. They need to be loved. They need to be fed. They need to, they need to have a drink. They need to, they need to watch them. You guide them to that place. You bring them in and you guide them to that place. Now recognize that though there are people who are gifted at hospitality, this kind of gift in particular is one that everybody needs to exercise, right? So I would love to be able to say, you know what, I don't have the gift of hospitality, so you can't come over to my house, right? And I don't have to take care of you. That's not really an option in this journey, right? So some people are gifted at it. What what that gift means is those are the people you watch, right? You watch gifted hospitality people and you go, oh, that's how you do that. I'm going to try that. I'm going to imitate them, right? But all of us have a calling to be hospitable, and to exercise this gift, and to grow in this gift. Likewise with shepherding. Shepherding is kind of a strange word because not too many of us have sheep, but if you are familiar with the Bible, you recognize that this image comes out because Israelite world had lots of sheep in it and shepherds. So we have a person called a pastor, and pastor is actually uh, an, another word for shepherd, right? And we have pastoral care elders who are also shepherds, right? But most important when we think about shepherding, this, this idea of, of a shepherd being somebody who leads people to a safe place again, very connected to hospitality. A shepherd is somebody who, who guides people to green pastures and still waters, which is Psalm 23, that famous psalm. But for all of us who have a calling and a gifting and a responsibility in the area of pastoral care or shepherding, we all need to recognize that what we're really doing is pointing people to Jesus, the good shepherd. John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. So as we're doing this role, and really with all of the gifts, it's not really about saying, boy, I have this gift, I need to do this for this person. It's, I have this gift from God so that I can lead people, shepherd people, guide people into the presence of the good shepherd. In fact, it might be helpful to, instead of talking about us having the gift of shepherding, to call ourselves sheepdogs, right? Because the sheepdog works with the shepherd at the shepherd's command and gathers all those people in so that they can actually hear the shepherd himself and follow his lead. Now, that's probably a little bit dangerous of an analogy because I know someone's going to say along the way, I know you're a sheepdog, but stop barking at me. So be careful with that one. Recognize that we have a role, but our role in shepherding is always to be under shepherds, to be people who, um, for the good shepherd, lead people into his presence and allow them to experience his comfort and his care. So we're one body. We're united. We have a whole variety of gifts. Those gifts are used particularly in times and through people um, in vulnerable circumstances, which always leaves us dependent on God. And with many of the gifts, 
we are required, responsible, expected to use them, whether we are the leader in that or somebody following, learning along the way. That's the beginning of our story. I hope in your small groups you have great conversations about the gifts that you have received and how you use them and what that means for your lives. So, now, I decided that for communion today, we are going to have communion as part of the sermon because with a passage like we are all one body, it seems pretty obvious that we should have communion as part of this message because really what happens in communion is that Jesus comes to us and gives us this incredible gift of himself. If you want to know how to use any spiritual gift that you receive, understand that you're called to use it in a sacrificial manner on behalf of others in the same way that Jesus did. The unique thing about this meal is that Jesus is both the host. He's the one who comes and says, hey, come and take the bread and take the cup. But Jesus is actually the meal himself because he says, this is my body and this is my blood. He's the host who offers himself. And what this meal does is, again, as our passage talks about, it tells us that we are one. So as we participate in communion today, we're recognizing that anyone who participates in this meal is participating in the body of Christ, right? And not only do we call the bread the body of Christ, we call the church the body of Christ. We are his body. And so as we participate in this meal, it's a spiritual gift from Jesus Note that word. It's a spiritual gift from Jesus to nourish us, to strengthen us, to give us the energy we need to be on his mission. It totally fits with the message of today. We are given spiritual gifts so that we are nourished for the mission, the call that he's put on our life. And so for today, just one more piece of introduction to communion. I use flatbread because it's Lent, that season where we slow down in anticipation of Good Friday and Easter, and Jesus hasn't risen yet, and so I'm using the flat bread. We celebrate his rise on Easter. Let's prepare for communion in prayer. Lord Jesus, we're going to participate in this meal, this gathering, this fellowship, this breaking of bread in your name. And for that, Lord Jesus, we require that your spirit come upon us and fill us and shape us so that not only are we participating in a little bit of something to eat and a little bit of something to drink, but the receiving of yourself, your sacrifice, your love, your spirit into our lives. And so we pray, Lord, make that miracle happen that in this sacrament, your presence comes and moves and fills and guides and is is experienced. And this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. So this is how it happened. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And we're told... As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So as often as we participate in this meal, we continue on mission into our world, sharing the truth and the love, the forgiveness and the healing of Jesus Christ. So participate with me. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was shed 
for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. And take, drink, remember, and believe that the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was shed on the cross for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the incredible gift of your sacrifice, of your love for us, and we thank you that you nourish us for the journey ahead. In your name we pray. Amen.